Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here in the studio today with flutist and composer Lori Bell. San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. All right, welcome to San Diego Sessions. I'm Ian Tordella. And I'm... And, oh. Oh, man. <laughs> We're it's not. gonna be a long morning. <laughs> sorry, I'm just sorry. kidding. <laughs> okay, sorry. We can introduce ourselves. Okay, okay. Ed Kornhauser, and so. also our special guest today is Lori Bell. All right, Lori's going to be joining us, and we're talking about her new album, Blues. Uh, but first, I have a couple important questions for Ed. Hit me here. Very important. This is a little segment we call "This versus That." Uh, okay. It's like spy versus spy, basically. Here we go. So. Johnny Griffin or Johnny Hodges? Johnny Griffin, I think. Yeah. Johnny Griffin. If I desert okay. island status, but yeah. Great. Yeah, getting up into the the sixties, the hard bop stuff. Mm. Uh, okay, Dexter Gordon or Flash Gordon? Oh, that's tough because you know one was a great tenor saxophone musician and chronic alcoholic, and one was a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. I, I, I mean, I think I'd rather have Dexter Gordon around. All right, all because right. he's also real. <laughs> okay, Here, here's the last one. This is a really tough one. Uh, if you have to think a little, that's okay. Kenny Kirkland or Kenny Garrett? Oh man, that is a hard one. I want both. I love Kenny Kirkland. He went too soon. Shoot, I don't. I mean, as a pianist, I guess I'll go with Kenny Kirkland. Got to go with Kenny Kirkland. Yeah, but I love Kenny Garrett. I actually was just binging on him. Like, um, I was going back and listening to a few records uh, just the other day because like, I realized I hadn't listened to him in a while. And I love Kenny. Or sorry, Kenny Garrett. I mean, I was listening to Kenny Garrett the other day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. All right. Well, we're here in studio with Lori Bell. Lori, what do you think? Kenny Garrett or Kenny Kirkland? Well, you know, I just saw a video of both of them performing together. Oh, uh, oh wow. At Baltica, one of the uh, jazz... Jazz uh, Baltica. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to check that out. It oh. was incredible. Wow. Really amazing performance. I love both of them, I, but I'm a big, huge Kenny Garrett fan, so... So we've got both. Yeah. There's a great video, and uh, I should look it up at some point. It's If my memory serves correctly, it's Kenny Garrett, and he's playing with Miles Davis, and he just takes a solo, and Miles is kind of standing off to the side, I think maybe with his back to the crowd. And then Kenny finishes solo, and Miles walks to the front of the stage, and he just holds up a big sign that just says Kenny on it. I love it. <laughs> it's just like, it was so out. It was, uh, I got to look up that video, find out where it is. Someday I'll do that for you. Ed. Yeah, exactly. It'll just say Ed yes. yeah. on a big poster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so Lori has dropped by to talk about her new record, that just came out. It's called Blues, or just Blue. 
apostrophe s well not a pot uh oh parentheses uh, yeah s. open par- parenthetical s and parenthetical or ellip- ellipses uh parentheses okay. i think yeah all oh, right that okay. way it covers you know because all the songs have the title blue in it or blues yeah there's a there's a there's a it's a concept record if you will it is yeah. it started out as a rehearsal and we taped it, and we were just trying out some blues heads. And we were listening back, and I thought, that's going on an album, Ron. And he goes, well, we're supposed to just be rehearsing. I said, I know, but I, I think, you know, we should do an album with all blue titles. I mean, it just sort of revealed itself in that one rehearsal. Oh, wow, it came out very organically. Wait, mm-hmm. so are those uh, recordings from the rehearsal, are they actually the record, or you went back and redid them in the studio? No. Actually, it, we were rehearsing at my studio. Ron brought his little unit. Oh, wow. I know. I know. And the first rehearsal, you know, we uh, recorded Teenies Blues and Blues on the Corner and tried a couple other things. And then when I listened back, I said, oh, no, that's, yeah, we should we should put that on a record. And Ron was kind of stunned because he was like, well, no, because, I, you know, I'm not prepared for all that. I said, yeah, you are. Yeah. This is going on a record. And so then the next session, you know, we made a list of all these uh, tunes that we really enjoyed, like Blue and Green. And, and then I added three originals. So. Wow. That's the album. It was really spontaneous. I we had no plans. It was just, it just happened. Wow. You answered my first question already, which is where you recorded it. Just kind of DIY'd it, basically. We did. Wow, very cool. First time I've ever done an album outside of a studio. Oh. Although I did take it to Trip Sprague and had him, you know, mix and master it. Okay. So, we, you know, the finished product, yeah, we did in the studio. But all the recording was just done at my house. First time I've ever done that. Wow. Yeah, it sounds amazing. The the mixing job is is great. I would have never oh, guessed it was you. not in a studio. Trip so. is amazing. I, I've worked with him for years, so he's done several, you know, mixing jobs on my album. And I'm like, oh, we got to yeah. take it to Trip. So, yeah. Oh, so your your musical partner on this record, Ron Satterfield, at, at times it's almost like a trio record because he plays guitar and sings and and does some amazing scatting as well and he covers all the bass and covers the bass yeah. so it could be a quartet and he also plays really percussively i mean the guy's a one-man band i know he's amazing he's an amazing like frightening talent oh, we've so, been playing together for 20 years oh wow even a little longer when did you went so 20 years <laughs> what was your first project together we did the Lori bell cd together um and then we did um two albums with uh, Dave Mackay. We had a trio with him. Great pianist, blind pianist from Los Angeles. Legendary. He's 86 now. Wow. Um, we had a trio with Dave for many years called Interplay. I know. I'm aware of that group. Dave used to play with Don Ellis, I think. He was with Don Ellis for many years. Yes. Yeah. I uh, remember listening to that record. I actually, I, this is true. Really? I had that record in high school. I managed to find it. Oh my God. Um, and I still have it. And I oh, remember wow. that version of God Bless the Child and just being amazed. It's such an interesting combo because it's piano, guitar, and flute. Mm-hmm. And then Ron sings, of course, too. Mm-hmm. And even though sonically the piano can reach lower than the bass, I mean, sorry, excuse me, lower than the guitar, mm-hmm. it's Ron that does the bass. Yeah. And, he, and like you say, he's got such a percussive tone. So he's he's doing bass and chords and he's doing melody in his chords and also singing. So he's just sort of... He just rounds everything out, and then uh, Dave's piano work is so great, and your flute work on time—it's it's a great record. Oh, thank you! Yeah. Thank I you love so that much. version of "God Bless the Child." That yeah, you guys Dave has uh, <clears throat> been my mentor. You know, I got really blessed when he came into my life when I was like in my early twenties, wow. and he sort of took me under his wing, and 
I made my first album with Dave and Andy Simpkins, as a matter of fact, so, the oh, legendary wow. and yeah, those wow. two were soulmates, had played together for many years. So, but Dave is just the most exquisite musician like on the planet, He's, in my opinion. I have to get this record. It's uh, <laughs> you actually recommended. I'll get you a copy. Yeah. There's only a few left. Yeah. It's out of print. Oh, wow. I, oh, yeah. I remember in high school, I had to like track it down because I really wanted it. I found some way to order it online, but it was not oh, easy. Wow. It was I, it was just a long time ago, you know. Um, oh, wow. I found it. Uh, but um, that you actually recommended me at some point uh, to get a record of Dave Mackay's uh, Windows. Windows, yeah. And I, I ordered it, and I love it. And for some reason, it's... Uh, I don't have any music on my phone, but for some reason I have that. So sometimes I'll be messing around with my phone and it'll just randomly start playing music and it'll just be from that album. It'll just be pretty much... It doesn't surprise yeah, me. I it's, mean, it's a great record. He's just so like orchestrative in his, you know, in colors and images. And even though he's blind, I mean, he saw it till he was 15. So he really understands what sight is. But I mean, he... Oh man, I mean, he, he has a way of um, creating the image of like the lyric and the context of the song. He has a way of bringing, like, there's one song on the Interplay album, Playing in the Snow, mm. and literally at the end, he creates snow falling. And you can literally hear that. I mean, he, he's just uh, extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's check out this first one on your new record, Lori. The first track is called Bell's Blues. Um, was what, this a spontaneous thing, or is this a tune you've already been playing for a while? This is a this was a brand new tune with a head in five, right? And solos in four. I, the original title, just to be honest, was Ingenuity. Um, and you know, since I was doing a blue album, <laughs> I retitled it for as Bell's Blues. You so. want to want to call it Ingenuity? Ingenuity. <laughs> hey, yeah, that, that sounds actually gross. I now like that. I say that. It, out loud. it does. It sounds very right. <laughs> All right, this is Bell's Blues, a.k.a. Ingenuity. Ingenuity. Here we go.
All right, that was Lori Bell and Ron Satterfield on Bell's Blues. Uh, but Lori, checking that tune out, one thing we mentioned briefly before was just the, the incredible rhythmic aspect of, of Ron's playing and your playing. Um, but how, how do you guys approach that as a duo? Because it's not always just comping and soloing. It seems everything's being juggled around all at once in a glorious uh, popcorn kind of way i don't know yeah we don't we don't plan any of it it just happens we're really in tune with each other so uh if you want to use the word psychic it's a little cliche but you know we're sort of i can sort of anticipate what he's going to do he sort of anticipates what i'm going to do and you know we have just have a really great rapport we he's so much fun to play with it's just really easy to sort of melt into what he's doing you know yeah, and he's not afraid to to go in and out of the walking baseline, but it's so seamless. You know, he'll go, he'll jump into some adventurous comping. Oh, know, I and know, then get right? right back out. Yeah, and all the um, substitutes on the on the blues too. And that oh. makes it so much more fun for horn players like us when you're playing just in a duo. Sometimes uh, some of that rhythmic uh, ingenuity gets lost because people are, were just trying to hold it down. Mm. I um, know, like Ron feeds on it, you know, and he builds on it. Like there's some some other tunes on the record where he goes in and out of several different grooves. Yeah. He'll go into 6-8 and come out and go into 4-4, four, four, and then he'll start walking, and then he'll go into a Latin bossa. He's, he's just incredibly creative. And he, he really has a cool sense of harmony, like especially how he uses the... That top voice is sometimes, oh, sorry, his singing yep. as a reference point. He'll harmonize with himself underneath. And uh, there was one moment, and I can't remember on the tune, on which tune, but it just caught me. He just did this really kind of harmonically adventurous thing where he was singing and then playing some really interesting chords under himself. He, he really brings the voice and the guitar together. It, it just sounds like one instrument. I know. He's amazing that way. And he also... Um you know, his voicings on guitar very much because he's a great pianist, too. Yeah. So, you know, he has that knowledge and then he puts that into what he does on the guitar. I was going to say, like, yeah, he plays, he also plays piano, like you say, and he plays the guitar almost like a piano. It's a little, reminds me of, uh, you know, Lenny Bro had that kind of approach, too. Mm -hmm. Not exactly that they sound alike, but he, he mm -hmm. had a more of a pianist approach to the guitar, which is really interesting to hear. Because mm -hmm. there's definitely some things physically that, you can do on piano and you just mm -hmm. can't do on guitar without some really odd hand movements and uh, the way he compromises that and it just it's or, or um, yeah it makes that work is incredible yeah he's he's uh, been figuring out less is more like dave mckay sort of taught him that when we worked in that trio because you know ron wanted to stay out of dave's you know voicing mm. approach and you know not only do bass but you know figure out a way and dave had taught him like less is more so now he has figured out like a two chord position to get this fat like you know a 13 suspended chord or something like that mm. with just using two fingers wow he's got he's developing mm. like this entire new approach it's really it's really wonderful to watch mm. him because, you know, as we all know, Ron's had his ups and downs in his life. And, you know, he's dealt with his alcoholism. And now he's been sober for almost seven years. That's great. And I know. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. And I'm just watching him, like, open up like a flower. And now he's starting to teach a little bit and start to write out his approach, you know. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to watch. So I'm just really proud of him, you know. And honored, really, to have the opportunity to play all these years together and, and make this album, you know. Yeah, the disc definitely sounds amazing. Oh, uh, thank you. But I wanted to ask you, in the last six or seven years, you've put out a 
a, almost a body of work between your work with Resonance mm-hmm. Records and your classical album, right. and also uh, your album with with um, Tamir, which we're, we'll get into later, and Katie Thoreau mm-hmm. and Matt Wittick, and then this album. Has there been any special motivation for you to get all this work out there almost in this time where some people say the record industry is dying? Um, well, hmm, it kind of is, right? I don't want to get into doom and gloom. <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> Well, the Javon album I, I did in 2008, and um, that was, like you said, through Resonance Records, and they found me at uh, the NAMM show. And uh, so that was uh, George Klaben, uh the CEO of that company, um, heard Ron and I actually playing, but then... Uh, brought me out to do this Javon album. It was brought, It was uh, George's concept uh, from top to bottom, and he chose all the material, but Tamir and I did all the arranging for it. So that was the first time I met Tamir, was in the studio for the very first recording session, mm. and we had Dave Enos wow. on bass. Yeah, that was, it was kind of scary for me, you know. <laughs> but Tamir and I, we'd been talking. In fact, uh, it, was, it was to the point where we were, like, talking about what we're going to do with the arrangements on the way up to L.A. Um, you know, we had all these ideas we're talking about it so that once we got there we oh yeah it was well, it was a really spontaneous record i had never met the musician enzo tedesco oh. on drums who just passed away recently mm. i know i know so that was a really fun album project um uh so that happened and then like you said i did the i think the classical album i can't remember i think i did a i i decided that about 10 years ago that I wanted to challenge myself and start doing classical recitals because, you know, the flute is really a classical instrument. It's really not a jazz instrument. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not really that respected. (laughs) But it's great for classical repertoire, you know, and I've always loved classical repertoire and I've always tried to keep my, you know, chops and my technique to a place where, you know, I sound halfway decent, I hope. And uh, I decided, you know, I, maybe I should go back to this repertoire. Actually, it was Claude Monteux, this really famous flutist who has lived here in San Diego, moved here. He's originally from Europe, but um, he heard me play jazz and he really encouraged me. And so I thought, well, maybe I could actually perform some of the flute and piano repertoire, huh. like the Hindemith Sonata for flute and piano, Copeland Duo for flute and piano, the Mio Sonatina. These are really difficult pieces. Yeah. And at first I thought, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, I can play these things in my studio, but there's no way that I can get out on stage and do this. And and Claude really thought that I could, so I started mentoring with him. And for about eight years, I worked with a pianist, a classical pianist in town, Diane Snodgrass, and I was doing like four to six recitals a year. Wow. I know. Wow. It's, it seems like that's not a line. A lot of jazz musicians will, will go into the classical world. It's uh, it's tough, let me yeah. tell you. I mean, it had me practicing four hours a day minimum just to be able to feel confident enough to get on stage and perform. So then I thought, well, I might as well before I can't, you know, play this repertoire anymore because it's really hard, <laughs> you know? And I thought, while I'm fresh... And it's in my hands and it's in my fingers. Let me go ahead and make the album. And then I decided to add one original piece that I had actually written for Claude Monteux on the album. I brought Tamir Hendelman down. It's kind of a ballad, like a Strayhorn-inspired and French repertoire-inspired little piece that's on that album as well. That's the last track on the record, I believe. Yeah. The only reason I added it was because Claude had just passed away and I thought, you know... 
I'm in the middle of this project. Let me go ahead and just add this and do a dedication to Claude. So, yeah. So then I did that, and then, like you say, the uh, Brooklyn Dreaming album. Um, that was a, a total inspiration. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn, so I was born in New York. My father was a big band lead trumpet player, played in big bands for 30 years, and wow. uh, so I. You know, and he's gone now, and my mom's gone. She was a great musician as well. I'm an only kid. So um, I, I, you know, had been thinking about doing something for a long time as a tribute to my parents and my birthplace. And so it was just pure inspiration. And I spent about nine months, like I had a little baby, <laughs> writing mm-hmm. new material. <laughs> nine months, right? You know, right, right. Yeah, doing all the writing that's and about, all the arranging. <laughs> that's, a, that's about the, the normal gestation time for an album. <laughs> Right, yeah. you know, so that one really took a lot. Like, aside from blues, was like a rehearsal. Turned out now this was like took like at least nine months to do all the writing. So a little more formalized and mm-hmm. yeah. and so that was the inspiration for that. And I'm really happy that I you know had that opportunity to do that album with Katie and Matt and Tamir. So yeah, that's that's great. Well, it's it's wonderful to see you getting this stuff out there because this is a time when a lot of artists can't find the resources or or the motivation to to get to the studio and, and record their originals um and that's something we want to see more of around town yeah For sort sure. of one of the reasons we maybe started this podcast a little bit get people more interested in recording original music and performing original music especially in the we're a bit biased towards jazz but you know just in general definitely we're very biased in general yes. yeah well yeah yeah <laughs> um and we should say uh, this this brooklyn dreaming record it's all the all the compositions it's sort of like the the blues record we were talking about where there's a theme and and sort of mm-hmm. this is as you said it's a dedication to your parents and 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 your birthplace new york and all the all the tunes are new york inspired mm-hmm. to in terms of the title there's a mm-hmm. few um covers on the thing on, on the record uh there's a really cool arrangement of nostalgia in Times Square oh, um, thank you. And, a, and Monk's 52nd Street theme and then the uh, Harlem Nocturne, which I always think is such a beautiful melody just oh, on, thank its, you. on its own. It's just such a cool melody. But the but the and then the rest of the tunes are yours. Mm-hmm. Six, six originals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's so, check out one of those tunes. Let's let's okay. uh, let's listen to Dog on Coney. But this this record features Lori Bell, of course, our wonderful guest on flute and then Katie Thoreau on the bass, Matt Wittick on drums, and Tamir Hendelman on piano. Yeah, and this is alto flute on this one. Oh, Oh, great. And the dog on Coney came from, because we lived in Brighton Beach, so we were right at the foot of the boardwalk. Mm. So we used to head out, my dad and I and mom, we used to walk out to Nathan's when I was a kid. And get a dog. Oh, on oh, Coney. right, right. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. That's where that title came from. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm slowly learning. I haven't really been in New York. <laughs> a Frankfurter, and yeah, yeah, there yeah you that, go. that's more my style. <laughs> Thank you. 
Right on. Well, we're back. That was A Dog on Coney uh, by our guest in the studio today, Lori Bell. Um, that, was, that, was, that was a cool track. That alto flute sounded awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, one thing I, I love and I think everybody loves about your playing, so this is a softball question, me saying this, but is that just the, your tone. It's so even through every register and e- even on the alto flute, which a lot of people don't get a focused sound on. You're getting a big sound that it you know even on a recording i can tell it projects and and it has this core to it oh thank you um i appreciate that but for some of the other woodwind players out there how do you where does that concept come from or how how did you develop this kind of sound uh well you know a lot of studying classical music helps um i've studied in new york with uh incredible flutist judith mendenhall uh, who taught me about core. I uh, studied with an imagery specialist uh, who was a great pianist uh, from Concordia University, who I used to see every year in Los Angeles when he was in L.A. Dave McKay actually introduced me to him. He worked with all instruments, and Dave was one of his uh, students, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, he taught me all these incredible imagery techniques that I pass on to all my students now, and that really helps too. You know, to focus on sound and how do you make that sound interesting and get away from the monotone, I think is what maybe you're talking about, how players, a lot of flutists have this sort of one, sort of, I call it monotone, and I try to make it a little bit more multidimensional, I try. And that's almost more of a a vocalist kind of concept, um, using visuals and imagery to attain different sounds. That's the other thing I do is I teach like a vocal technique applied to flute and then I use imagery. And I think a lot, I think other instruments uh, when I play, I I rarely think flute because I think it gets boring after a while. It's like, why does it always have to be a flute? So hearing other instruments and trying to sound like other instruments is is another thing that I like to do. And classical too. So when I'm doing classical, I like to think oboe or clarinet or violin, you know, in jazz. I'm always thinking trumpet, sax, you know, anything but the flute, really. Hmm. That's really interesting. I was seeing this thing with uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, the guitar player, one time, and he was doing this short interview, and he was just saying for 10 minutes straight, he's saying, oh, yeah, when I'm playing these solos, I'm, I'm just visualizing Bud Powell in my head. I'm just thinking about Bud Powell. Of course, and how right? he would play the solo. Yeah. <laughs> but it was kind of like he was trying to get into this mindset of, of a different instrument while he's actually playing his solo. Yeah, like um, you have to get out of yourself to get kind of back into yourself, you know what I mean? And using other instruments is a really great way to do that. Throw you off balance a little bit, and, and then you sort of find your way. So... I'm really, I'm really digging all these compositions, and something you, you mentioned you're doing this fall is a composition workshop. 
I'm going to do a composition arranging class for uh, the International Academy of Jazz. So Guy Gonzalez, you know, as you know, the things have changed there. And uh, Gilbert did an amazing job building that school up. And now he's, of course, doing his own thing. And we're all really proud of uh, the work he's doing with young kids. It's all about the kids now. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Are they putting something in the water? Because there's like all these like young jazz musicians. Yeah, it's great. the revolution. It's well, insane. I think it's Gilbert's dream, you know, to uh, to help kids and, and mentor kids. And it's great. I mean, I totally, you know, support what he's doing. But also in the meantime, you know, Guy wants to keep his school going. So he's brought me on and, and several other people are coming on the faculty too. I think I saw John Reynolds on the list and... Oh gosh, I can't. I can't remember everybody. It's all new. I don't even know where the classes are taking place yet. But um, <laughs> I'm excited. I I had suggested to him uh, a composition arranging class, and he he went with it. So and why not? Mean, right. That's mainly going to be for the high school age students, yeah. or will it be for the younger kids mm-hmm. as well. Or yeah, up to eighteen. So that's great. I, I think he should open it up to all ages. Personally, you know, why not? I mean, there's a lot of you know, I, I think he will eventually, because I think Gilbert's really going to get the bulk of, of all the kids in town, you know, I mean, as as he should, really, because he has so many opportunities for them. Um, but hopefully, you know, um, Guy will open up opportunities as well and performances and recitals and things like that. So we'll see one, what happens, you know. That's, that's wonderful <laughs> you get to teach a composition class. I, I always felt like as I was sort of figuring out jazz I was writing little tunes and I was trying to compose and and that that kind of opened my ears up to oh, a lot yeah. of sounds by by delving in and trying to write my own stuff I learned a lot about how the music is sort of put together and I learned a lot of the language that way so it's it's a great expression method but it's also a wonderful exercise to compose Oh, definitely. I mean, it goes hand in hand with being a jazz musician. So really, the first thing we do is start writing our own tunes, right? Mm -hmm. But also, I want to teach kids how to arrange, you know, so that they have an original book. Yeah. And they go out and do their own thing so that they're not playing like gigs like a casual or something, you know. The odd thing with music education, and I've talked with uh, trumpeter Derek Cannon about this, but mm-hmm. so many people, teachers, and I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone, we focus so much on the playing and on the reading, and we never get to the writing, which is one of the most fun things. Oh, for sure, um, right? And especially to get the kids into it, because they don't have as many inhibitions about trying to write something perfect. Um, it can be much more of a fun workshop. Yeah. But it's amazing how much jazz education in San Diego is expanding. I know. And I think, I think more is more, you know, having two or three weekend programs. And there, there are also different youth bands like Andy Gibbs, Ambassadors of Soul. And then there's a few different other big bands in town. Um, and I think the more kids get into it, it's just going to multiply. Oh, so. yeah. It's, it's amazing. The revolution has begun. <laughs> Absolutely, right? <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, we're going to pause for our station identification break and the jazz calendar and then we'll be back with more Lori Bell. This is San Diego Sessions, your inside perspective on the SD jazz scene. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Hi, I'm Mandy Joe, and here's your jazz forecast for September 3rd through the 10th. Tonight, Sunday, September 3rd, we have the Whitney Shea Quartet. They play on the patio at the Bernardo Winery in Rancho Bernardo, playing some high-energy jazz and blues from 2 to 5. No cover in all ages. 
Vocalist Leonard Patton and pianist Ed Kornhauser play their monthly first Sunday engagement at the Turf Supper Club in Golden Hill from 8 to 11 p.m. No cover and 21 and older. Monday, September 4th, Louis Valenzuela hosts his regular Monday night jam session at Rosie O'Grady's in Normal Heights from 9 p.m. to midnight. Come sit in or just relax and enjoy. No cover and it's 21 and up. Wednesday, September 6th, Trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66, a mainstay in San Diego for decades. Listen to the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of Balboa Park. Music is from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Drop by early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. No cover and all ages are welcome. Family and pets even can come. Thursday, September 6th, Trumpeter Gary Rich hosts his first Thursday jam at Boré Southern Bistro from 7 to 10 p.m., featuring Dean Hewlett on bass, Jason Chatiel on piano, and Brett Sanders on drums. Friday, September 7th, is a big night for jazz in San Diego. Saxophonist Ian Tordella and pianist Ed Kornhauser, the stellar and exuberant hosts of San Diego Sessions, play some New Orleans jazz in the lobby of the U.S. Grand Hotel from 5.15 to 7.45 p.m. Pianist Mikan Zlakovich will perform with bassist Antar Martin and drummer Duncan Moore at the Hanleria Hotel in Hotel Circle from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. No cover, all ages are welcome, and parking is validated. The Friday Happy Hour series is put on by Holly Hoffman. Stay tuned for more great jazz. The Paul Combs Quintet plays the lost music of Tad Dameron, featuring Derek Cannon, Kamal Kenyatta, Rob Thorson, and Richard Sellers at Dizzy's. Music is at 8 p.m., there's a $20 cover, and all ages are welcome. Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate, an intimate series in the Plaza Bar at the beautiful Westgate Hotel, featuring a rotating cast of Southern California's best. Music from 8 to 11 p.m., and all ages are welcome. Saturday, September 7th, the Robert Dove Quintet, featuring vocalist Melissa Morgan, perform at the Franco Moragrega Art Gallery, located at 102 South 21st Street. Tickets are $40 in advance and $45 at the door. 21 and up. Vocalist Allison Adams-Tucker plays at the Westgate Hotel Plaza Bar, featuring pianist Josh Nelson and bassist Mackenzie Layton. 8 to 11 p.m., and it's all ages. Sunday, September 8th, Sassy Sunday with vocalist Lorraine Castellanos at the Turf Supper Club. Jazz, blues, and Latin standards at one of the oldest piano bars in the city. 8 to 11 p.m., but you got to be 21 and up. No cover charge. I'm Mandy Joe, and you're listening to San Diego Sessions. You're listening to San Diego Sessions. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. And we're back with a segment that we like to call the San Diego 7. So these are seven questions. Just answer them off the top of your head. Okay. Um, uh, number one, uh, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? The eclipse. Yeah. I was actually kind of cool. I saw a little bit of it from the coffee shop. Yeah? Yeah. I... Uh, I held up, I took a selfie with it, and there was a little lens flare on my face, but the lens flare was the half moon, so it kind of, it worked. Cool. <laughs> science, science is cool. Science is really cool. When composing, does harmony or melody tend to come first for you? Harmony used to when I was younger, and now it's all about the melody first, because I find that I write stronger melodics if I go right to the horn, and then I'll go to the piano and do the reharm. 
Wow. Very cool. Um, when and what was your very first gig? Oh, um, my very first professional gig was The Prophet when I was 17 and a half. I had been playing flute a year and a half. I played guitar for 12 years before I started flute. So, oh, um, wow. But oh, when wow. I, right about a year and a half after flute, I got a, a gig and it lasted nine years. Like wow. three nights a week, two two to three nights a week at th- this place called The Prophet. It was this amazing, like, international vegetarian restaurant that had the waiting room had the stage with like all these statues of Quinn Yen and and it had a piano. And I had landed this gig for like nine years. Uh, wow! And you said The Prophet. I thought it was going to be some hippie like seventies uh, New York. Off Broadway thing. I thought, yeah, I thought it was a musical too. I, um, I think, I think you in that you answered your next. My next question here uh, was flute your first instrument or piano or something else? Or was it guitar? Guitar. It was guitar. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Do you still play guitar? I don't. Oh. Got to do those walking. I started on the yeah. Get some lessons from Ron. Yeah. <laughs> After Ron, yeah. it's like no, I don't like to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the first concert you ever remember attending? Uh, in New York City, uh, watching Leonard Bernstein do um, young people's concerts. Wow, I've heard of those. Wow. My father took me to that when I was a kid, uh, Carnegie, at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And he brought the New York Phil and he did a segment. I, I was really young. I was six, I think. Wow. I know. Who's Amazing, Leonard Bernheim? Right? Leonard no, Bernstein. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I That's cool. All right. That's cool. Strike make, that from the record. Yeah. That's cool. I think mine was Bob Dylan. Uh, but old Bob Dylan when he can't sing. Uh, how has being a pianist influenced your flute playing? Um, I started playing piano because I realized that the theory was so uh, vast that unless I got to the piano, I wasn't going to get to where I wanted to get with the flute. So the piano has been hugely instrumental in my growth as a jazz artist. I think every horn player should play piano. You really can hear, like, if a horn player doesn't know piano. I'm sorry, you can hear it. It's like, no, you need to get to the piano and really look at those voicings. You don't have to become, like, a great pianist, but you really need to scope out what's happening on piano. I agree. You don't have to necessarily get to a performance level, but... It totally informs your playing, even as a no matter what you play, even as a drummer, because you hear how the music is put together. The best drummer, I mean, Tony Williams played piano. He was a great drummer. Tim McMahon, he's he plays piano. Jack DeJanet. Jack DeJanet. I think he was a pianist first. Yes, right. I mean, makes a huge difference. Um, And seven, I told I at least had to put some and name this in. Seven is just bacon. Bacon. Little Jewish girl has to have her pork. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's probably the best answer we've gotten so far. That's the best answer. That's the that's it. You win. You win the podcast. Okay. Congratulations. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is the Bacon Podcast. Um, so back to back to the San Diego music scene. Um, going off, we were talking about classical music versus jazz mm-hmm. in the earlier segment, but you're in, you're in a wonderful group called Night People, which brings together both classical and jazz. Um, and I, I actually played in some earlier iterations of the group, but you, you guys have a gig coming up. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about the band and, and the, 
the new music. Sure. So yeah, composer Joe Garrison um, has written a brand new book called The Broken Jar. It's wonderful. And this is a different group now. We have four winds, bass and piano. So we have uh, Brian O'Donnell on bass trombone. We have um, Robert Seligman on clarinet and Jane Zwienerman on French horn, myself on flute. And then um, we had Mackenzie Layton on bass, but he couldn't make this particular concert. So now we have uh, Chris Duvall, I believe, and Melanie Grinnell. So no drums on this uh, particular group. It's very intimate. It's an amazing book. And of course, Joe Garrison is, uh, you know, completely unique uh, writer, I think, especially for anybody in San Diego. I think he's one of the really great composers here. Yeah. So we're premiering that new book on um, Saturday, October 14th at Dizzy's. Really excited. Great. Night People is such an interesting band, and I think a lot of the jazz players in town haven't seen this latest iteration of Night People, Yeah. which is completely different from the 14-piece uh, free improv extravaganza that was the old version. This is... I think it incorporates even more elements from classical music and there's still like some room for blowing, right? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Solos all over the place. But um, it's more intimate and you know, Joe was having a really hard time rounding up nineteen people, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really, really, really hard for him. You <laughs> Especially know? when you have to deal with horn players like uh, Charlie Arbaleas and that Ian Tordella and oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> those other guys. That guy. <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. yeah, this so is. So that's going to be Saturday, October 14th at Dizzy's. Yeah. Third Night stre- People. Third yeah. stream to the max. Um, that's dizzy'sjazz.com. You can also check out everything Lori's doing at lorybellflute.com. And also, you're going to be traveling to New York pretty soon, correct? A week after that concert, I'm going to be in New York. I'm going to be performing at, uh, the, at Manus, which is a music conservatory at the New School University in Manhattan. So I'm doing a concert there, and I'm doing a master class workshop on improvisation. I'm also going to play a little venue in Brooklyn called uh, <clears throat> The Drawing Room, which is a really hip spot. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited. Well, let's take it out with one more tune. We're going to listen to another one from the, the brand new album with Ron Satterfield. This one's called Istan Blue. It's, an, it's another original. What there was, is a what little was behind story. this one? One of my students had just been to Istanbul, and I hadn't seen him in a while. And it's the piano student that I have, one of the, my piano students. And uh, I was trying to show him a jazz standard that wasn't going very well. <clears throat> but he works great when we work on original stuff, so... I suggested, well, why don't we do something from your neck, you know, where you just were visiting Istanbul? And he goes, well, how are we going to do that? So I went to the piano and started playing a little bits and pieces of the E-flat harmonic minor scale, just parts of it, and started writing some things. And after a while, and he was, you know, following me, he was at the piano with me. And after a while, he said, well, let's just see how close you really are. So while he was in Istanbul, he had his iPhone. And he recorded him walking down the street. You could see the snow. You could see the the, uh, mosque. And just at that time, the prayers were happening. E-flat minor. It was was crazy. It was like I was sort of channeling where he was. Hmm. Because what I, it was the same, like, no, 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 no. You know, that kind of thing. After, After all that, I couldn't get the thing out of my head. 
I could not get it out of my head. And a couple mornings later, I just got out the flute and started really writing the melody that I thought would lay on the flute. Actually wound up putting it to E minor because I thought it would lay better on guitar. And I knew I was going to call it Istanbul. I mean, I just, yeah. So I I thank my student for (laughs) inspiring me to write a little tune for the album. Nice. All right. Well, here we go with Istanbul. And you can pick up the record Blue by Lori Bell. You can go to LoriBellFlute.com. It's also available on Amazon, CD Baby, iTunes, or anywhere you get your music online. And Lori, thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank you. It's been really fun. And we hope you come back to see us again. I would love to. When you put out your next uh, four albums. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So like in a couple months. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at dirtyboulevardrecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser, performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artist. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company.
This is a silly question. Do you prefer f- flute player or flautist? Flutist. 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 Flautist is kind of a classical thing. Yeah, okay. I feel you. I, you know, I mean a little bit, but right. no rules, whatever. No, flutist and pianist.